I'm Elena Lansberg-Lewis, your host of Grandmothers on the Move, the podcast that kicks old stereotypes to the curb. Come meet these creative, outrageous, authentic, adventurous, irreverent, and powerful disruptors and influencers. Grandmothers, from the living room to the courtroom, making powerful contributions in every walk of life. We know them most intimately as loving caregivers, the older women in our lives with a thousand stories about their grandchildren and pictures in their purses. In this podcast, you'll come to know even more about our grandmothers. They are galvanized, determined, and are guaranteed to get you thinking. What drives them? What are they up to? What is the potential of grandmother power, and how is it changing the world? Grandmothers are on the move. You don't want to be left behind. Hi, it's Ilana. Welcome back to Grandmothers on the Move. And today I'm bringing you a really special conversation directly from the heart of the Grandmothers to Grandmothers campaign. Fideli Kiwia, also known as Mama Kiwia, is the program coordinator and co-founder of a community-based organization in Tanzania called Kamara Peer Educators and Health Promoters. It's an organization that responds to the HIV and AIDS crisis in Dar es Salaam. She has worked in the field of HIV and AIDS for over two decades with a focus on everything from prevention to counseling to stigma reduction, human rights, program management, capacity building. And she was a member of the organizing committee coordinating and leading the Tanzania Grandmothers Gathering held in Arusha, Tanzania in February of 2018, just recently. She also holds a Bachelor of Arts degree in economics from the University of Dar es Salaam. She is a compassionate, forceful, and determined leader. And I look forward to sharing our conversation with you today. Of course, as I've said in the past on other podcast episodes, full disclosure, this is part of the series that I'm doing on the Stephen Lewis Foundation's Grandmothers to Grandmothers campaign, a campaign of grandmothers and grandothers that started in Canada and has now spread to Australia and the UK and most recently the United States. It stands in solidarity, raising awareness about and funds for the tenacious African grandmothers and their community-based organizations turning the tide of AIDS in sub-Saharan Africa. And as most of you know by now, I am the executive director of the Stephen Lewis Foundation. So onward with Mama Kouya. Welcome, Firia Eli. It's wonderful to have you on Grandmothers on the Move. You've devoted your life to working on HIV. How did you come to this work and why did you decide to take this path? <laughs> Thank you. And this, there's a long history behind this. Much is very personal, what happened to my own life. And the other was seeing really what was happening in our community, friends losing their beloved ones. Do you just sit there and say, it's done? I had this good employment for myself, but I also thought of the other people who were going through what I had gone through. I wanted to see if we can make some change. Made me feel good and also gave me a life to live. So much of what was happening was to see myself stepping in, but also seeing other friends step in with me together. And I was happy that the initial people that started the program, most of them are still with the program. And we see the sense of being part of this community. And I would say in times, it's not appreciating yourself, but uh, what other people say about what you're contributing to their lives. So to me, this has made a lot of sense of why I am still alive to date. The time we started, nobody was talking about HIV. 
the time we started, there was a lot of stigma directed personally to each of us. But if we could stand that, why now give up? Because it's now more open, it's now people talk about it, and programs are on foods. We help people move ahead. You were working in a bank and you had, as you say, this good employment. What led you to make the decision to change what you were doing in your own life and start an organization? I think I need to pull history back. I left my job in 1987. I had worked for 11 years with a bank. And then 1985, I really got sick. I was in bed for almost two years. The system used to pay our bills at the hospital. But when HIV was coming in, if you're too sick for too long, it's HIV. So no bill is being paid. Why don't you just pull yourself out? Because you're not wanted. You feel it. You're not even told, but you feel it. And how many more? We're also feeling that. So my story began there, when nobody was paying my bill. Nobody was valuing my 11 years of work. And nobody was interested in seeing me living. So I didn't initiate chemotherapies until 1992, when I had recovered, when I had good health. Internalizing what really happened in my own life was like pulling together myself and start moving around and seeing who else, because I had the vision. So I had told several of my friends who I knew had some relations to the HIV epidemic by then and convinced them, can we do something? Should we just keep quiet? Yes, I'm doing good business. I had several cows. I lived in Kimara since 1986 and I could establish myself with my business. And I was doing well, very well. So they said, how do we start? I said, let's start just like a neighborhood program. Help each other. We have the sense that they are going through something similar to what we are going through. That's why it's called Kimara, Kimara Peers. It really started in the community, was a neighborhood program. We attended several funerals quietly, but we had a movement. It was just like a friend to friend, a neighbor to a neighbor, and we got strong. Everyone could see us and could notice what we were doing. Then they started convincing us, why don't you make your work for me? This is something very good, but mind you, you are dealing with human life. Why don't you make it for me? So June 1996, we got registered as non-governmental organization. It's a support group of people living with HIV and those impacted by HIV. And we had this vision. We want people to understand what it is. Men to men, women to women, young people, old people, but all peers. People who have reasons to be together as peers. So the peer movement was what was holding us together. In our communities, it's easy to pull people together when you have drum beating. That was one of our strategies. So we trained ourselves to move into communities with drum beating, pulling crowds and sending out the message. This is HIV, there's HIV around us. How does it look like? How do you know you're infected? And mind you, there's no medication yet. So the knowledge helping people who are negative to remain negative, positive to help each other, started that way. And as we pulled the crowd and you are through with your session, a woman can come by you and say, oh, can you come home and tell me if my son is HIV positive? The disease you're talking about is really what is happening at home. Can you come? Can you talk to my child? I want to know if this is HIV. We had no skills, no skills at all. 
how do you go and tell somebody they're HIV positive? So we had to learn how to talk to a person. And this is the counseling. How do you talk to them so that they can now go to the clinic? We thought we were just giving out information. Now people want us to go home. How do we start? There was this doctor in Morogoro, Dr. Lucy Nkia. We wrote to her. We are told you are doing HIV work, you are a medical doctor. Most of us were no professionals at all. And she said, come. So some of us traveled to Morogoro. We had this uh, training full week. We said, yeah, we don't understand this thing. She helped us to get the language of doing counseling and the skills. So we started counseling. By then, with HIV prevention and information dissemination, we had uniforms, T-shirts, written Kimara P educators. Now we are going to the homes. How do we go with the uniform? It's like you're telling people, I'm going to an HIV-positive person, follow me, to stigmatize. So we had to learn how to move to the homes. And this is the home-based care program that we started. But mind you, as soon as you go home, people get tested, they confirm their status, and they are sick. There's no medication. We had to learn palliative care, preparing people to die. You're losing friends. People are dying. Good people are dying, leaving children behind. Lucky, most of the homes, we had the grandmothers. Those are our heroes, and they were there from the beginning of the epidemic, who took over the responsibility of the grandchildren, taking care of the grandchildren. She was there to hold them tight. At times, she would be even ashamed to say, I lost another son, I lost another daughter, and I've taken in more grandchildren. It was through the support groups that we could know who is getting the most burden of it, what they're going to eat, how they're going to survive. Now you, you lose a friend, you can't abandon the family. You go back, talk to the children. But what do you tell the children? The person who was there was the grandmother. So the conversation moved from the person who was on bed into the grandmother, and then the children were left behind. Looking at their grandmothers now. She would say the most important thing is to take my children to help them be in school. So we started a school program. Uh, the grandmother looks at the children only. What about herself? So we also had the support groups of grandmothers to see how are they being held to take care of the children and take care of themselves. Now the grandmother says, it's okay, the children are in school. But yesterday we didn't eat. So we start looking at the food parcels. But how many grandmothers are we going to be able to feed over the year? 2010, we were lucky. Three of our grandmothers went to, to the grandmothers uh, gathering in Swaziland. They met other grandmothers and they learned how other people were managing the volume of grandmothers in their own community. When they came back, they shared some good information of how to initiate a financial base to start income-generating activities. And these are the community-based household income and savings association setup, which is our pride over the years. So the grandmother's groups were now meeting as mutual support groups. Nobody would lend them money to do the small activities at home. So they needed somewhere where they can borrow money and do the activities, repay into the group, and the process was a movement that was very helpful for them. So they could get loans, they could meet. So this is the way they helped each other. But finances is not all it. Everybody had this hurting inside, saying, I lost my daughter, I lost my son. Now it's like, yes, I'm coming to the group, but I'm still carrying a very heavy burden. So we had lots of stress management workshops. 
and the grandmothers at first were really laughing. You want us to learn? We already done with our children. Within the skills building of how to parent, we also needed to help the children know they are being parented and there's somebody caring for them. So there are sessions that we we'll do with the grandmothers. There are sessions that we we'll pull the grandchildren also on another open space, a safe space to discuss what actually happened. So the children start learning life is a process, life comes and ends, and then now who is there for them? The grandmother is the community-based organization, there are people in the organization, there are counselors they can talk to, they can rely on them, and then what about the future? So we needed them to start drawing the future, a future that is beautiful, a future that suppose your mom comes back 10 years down the road, not physically, but comes back in spirit. What would you want your mother to see in you? And then these children start drawing and we say, draw it, put it on paper. Want to be a doctor? Yes. Put it on paper. Want to be a lawyer? Yes. Put that on a paper. And then they will draw. And where would your grandmother be? Oh, she would be just around to see me graduate. So put that on paper as well. They put it up in the wall. That's your future. You certainly want to be a lawyer. Yes. And then we say, now, here you are. You just enter in secondary school. What do you need to do today to be the doctor that you've drawn and is on the wall? And then they'll start like, I'll do, I'll, I'll work hard in class. Uh-huh. And then what else? I'll work hard writing. Uh-huh. What else? I'll do my responsibilities when I come home to my grandmama. And then, uh-huh. so where's the grandmother? The grandmother is on the, this journey of life. Uh-huh. And then why do you think you need to be very helpful to your grandmother? Because she's the person I'm depending on now. Oh, so do you love your grandmother? Yes. Can you give her a big present? They'll start drawing flowers on the journey of life as they walk towards their dream. So we help the child to really appreciate the position of the grandmother. So the dreaming of the future is part of the training. The skills building between the grandmother and the, the grandchildren is to make the connection. And uh, eventually we've seen the grandmothers who never thought are going to learn skills in their age wanting more skills and saying we want these skills to be taught to us. The grandmothers, they will say, I think I'm better off. I think you should help that grandmother. She has taken in another six grandchildren. Myself, I can step back, but they keep on coming to the support groups. Now life is there and we are lucky on the way medication came. Our vision of the home-based care and palliative management has really changed into helping people with the medication, how important it is in life and how it works in our bodies and how adherence is a key. It's a story we've heard so often before about how women at the grassroots community level just stepped in to respond to what was happening in their families and their communities around HIV and AIDS. I wonder, Fidia Ali, if you can talk to us a bit about how the work with grandmothers has evolved and how you found them when you first started doing this work and where they've come now and how the engagement with Kumara Peers, your organization, has made a difference in their lives. In Tanzania, the being of the grandmothers was initially holding the communities together, starting with the family, where you lose your own children, but you have a responsibility that you can't run away from. 
at times some grandmothers will say, I want to commit suicide. But at times when you talk to the grandmother, you walk her through and make her understand how important it is for her to be uh, in existence. They said, like, I shouldn't have thought about killing myself because of the burden. And the community-based organizations were stretching out to see that at least there is the initial survival. And then when it was like, how do I make it? We needed to see them coming together, like shoulder rubbing the other other shoulder and moving the journey together. Actually, most of those who come to the community-based organizations have no means of survival. That's why food parcels were there and the paying of school fees and the uniforms was very, very important for them. And as they walked down the road, helped them have the spirit to look forward and to see a future, even when you are very old. When a person loses a child, there are people visiting. But this covers, the say, the week or the month of the person who passed away. And then thereafter, it's like you need to pick yourself and continue. But for the grandmother, it's not like that. It's a bit different. You lose one, you lose another. When you come back as an organization and you want to sit down with the grandmother, that's the initial process. And the grandmother will start crying again. She's down again. It's like you're reminding her of what happened. The first thing is not looking at herself. Look at the grandchildren. And say, how many do you have? Say six, eight, and worse of it, two are HIV positive. But to other cases, she will say, but this one is not even growing. The others are okay, but these two are not growing at all. So we needed to see how we can answer the I don't knows. In some cases, we had to help the grandmother take the HIV test of the children, which is different from just a normal grandmother. And then the children are put on medication and they start to grow Mm -hmm. and they're also taken to school. So this one is done. They just need to go to school. But he needs to continue helping the child to take the medication. So literacy on ARVs was for her to understand the medication is daily, specific time. And the child also needs to take the medication. But when they're younger, it's okay. Mm -hmm. She's going to tell like, come on, take the medication. But later... The child grows and the child answers. So do you leave the grandmother alone? She has no skill to tell the child. So these are the processes that we need to take the the grandmother through. So that a hearing is okay for the child. And the child now, as the child grows and is able to consume the message, Mm -hmm. then the grandmother is also helped through the process. So you're talking about disclosure yes. and helping the grandmother disclose yes. to her grandchild yes. if her grandchild is HIV. Yes. Because at first you tell her, you need to tell the child. And then she says, ah, so I tell him that my own child was so bad to pass HIV to the child. Is that what you want me to tell the child? But the child is growing. So we help the grandmother to walk with the child on the steps. So this is the learning we do with the stepping stones with children. The grandmother together with the child slowly until the grandmother is able to tell. Because this is the person mm-hmm. the child trusts. So the skills is not for you to come and say, you're HIV positive and you're done. No, it's the process of helping the people who are intimate to learn from one another. And slowly the grandmothers pick of those. And we've seen for the grandmothers that are helped to learn the skill, how to parent the child, HIV positive or HIV negative. And the more they walk on the same steps together, helping each other, the better for the child and the grandmother. 
So the process is for the, the grandmother to learn was not her fault for her child to die. And it's not her fault that the HIV was passed to a child. And at times, you might think the counselor is going to be able to do that all. But it depends on how the grandmother would connect to another grandmother and another and another so that she's not alone in this struggle of coping with what happened. So the more you're connecting them, the more we see our grandmothers being stronger together. It's not the individual one only. Each time they meet, it's like, so you're also going through this. So they will start slowly talking about it and then start to think loud and talk loud. And then you find them in a support group. They are singing and they are happy and looking for what is next. It's like, when are we meeting next? Support them as they want to be supported. Most of the grandmothers, they've grown stronger because they can meet. They have a reason to wake up in the morning, take a warm bath, dress up well, and then come to the So there was a grandmother's gathering in Tanzania, and you and your organization, Kamar Pierce, were on the organizing committee and other community-based organizations. But that gathering brought together over 200 grandmothers from across Tanzania. Yeah, exactly, yes. And tell me a little bit about what happened at the gathering. I know there were many workshops the grandmothers were doing with each other. And why was it important for that gathering to happen? What happens as a result now of those grandmothers coming together? Yes, the grandmothers gathering in Tanzania brought together 200 grandmothers in Tanzania, few other grandmothers from international, uh, Australia, remember, UK, US, Canada, and then we had other grandmothers from South Africa and Uganda who had their own gathering then prior to ours. Is historic, never happened in Tanzania. And first, when we started the committee, I was like, would this ever happen? Our country is so big. How many grandmothers are we going to be able to bring together? And we are lucky they did come. And for some of the grandmothers, actually most of them had never moved out of their own communities. It was the first time they stepped out of their communities. And to them, all coming together with grandmothers from their corners. Oh my God. So we are not just ourselves. And this was their space to show what had happened. Not for eliminating it from their lives, but at least a time to breathe out. So it's like, oh, here we are. You also, you also, you also. Each of the groups were like, this is our time to show our talents, how we manage it, stress management, parenting skills, grief and bereavement, talking to adolescents and young people about HIV and how to make it through life, dreaming of the future. Those are part of what was in the sessions, breakout sessions and workshops. Grandmothers were doing the, the workshop for other grandmothers. But it was so amazing to see them seated, listening to one another, at times clapping heavily, clapping their hands. And then the others would say, oh, so I was going through the same, but I didn't have that skill. So it was like a learning and a sharing process. And this really encouraged them to show that they are this strong people for their communities, for themselves, for their children. The grandmothers had opportunity to plant new seeds in their lives. And we know over time, the seeds will germinate and there are times we're going to harvest. But the other very important event that happened with Arusha was Solidarity Walk. Grandmothers in red, yellow, blue, 
in our country, it's not allowed a lot of processions, but the roads were blocked. We had a police band leading, so we filled the Arusha streets, grandmothers, and they had an opportunity to tell them what grandmothers have done within the HIV pandemic, how strong they are, how strong they've been able to hold the communities together and raising a generation of presidents, prime ministers to come. We need further support, particularly for themselves and for the children under their care. We know that we still have a long way to go without eating in the morning. There's no food program. The grandmothers can afford very little. Community-based organizations can afford a limited way of helping. But the government needs to look further. When you say school is free, but what would it look like when everyone else is on uniform and one or two, three, four, ten children are not in uniform? Is that telling the school system that these are vulnerable, these are orphans, these have HIV? So even where such subsidy is vivid and we really love it and it really helped a lot of children to go to school, yet there are those things that are basic to the child. And with HIV, there's no way you're going to eliminate, 100% eliminate stigma. There's no way. It's not an easy disease. People are like, I don't want everybody to know. What picture am I painting to the community? And communities are not ready. If they were ready, we wouldn't have gone where we are. And if you're certain people are going to accept you, then you can shout about it. I have the lovely opportunity today of sitting with you in person. Usually I do these interviews long distance, but today because you've been visiting in Canada and speaking to grandmothers groups who are part of the Grandmothers to Grandmothers campaign across the country, I wondered if you could tell me how your experience has been, how you think of the Grandmothers to Grandmothers campaign in the global north. This is a campaign, as we've said on this podcast before, that's founded in solidarity, not charity, uh, respecting the dignity and the determination of the African grandmothers and their community-based organizations, raising awareness about and raising funds for the African grandmothers and organizations like Kamara Peers. How does all of this strike you, having a chance to speak to the Canadian grandmothers yourself? I've been here and I've seen the grandmothers' moments. At times we feel like, oh my God, these are the hearts, the inners of human beings, thinking of another human being, even when they are not surrounded with their children. There are many messages. Despite that, we don't have losing our own children and grandchildren and our tables crying to be fed. But we feel how much you are doing, how valuable it is. And we are together because we're thinking about how much you carried in your own being. Can we come together as grandmothers to show our own love and the feeling that we are there, like we are right in your midst. We are working with you together. The major difference I've seen, nobody is telling us what to do. That's very, very important, very unique in the grandmother's movement, very different. Nobody is telling us what to do. They're so excited. They meet, they have their own programs, and they are thinking about somebody they've never seen but they visualize the situation. And to me, this is like the love in the heart. Mama Kuwia, if you had all of the grandmothers and grandothers and the Grandmothers to Grandmothers campaign together, what would you want to say to them? We'll win the war if we work together. We'll just win. We'll just win. We'll just have our hearts together and the love and moving ahead. And for the Tanzanian grandmothers, if you had them all in one space and all of their community-based organizations, what is an important message that you would want to convey to them now in this moment? 
I would say life is appreciation. We've gone so far. We need to appreciate who we are. There's life today and there's life in the future. Suppose the grandmothers were not there from the beginning of the AIDS pandemic. What would the world be looking like now? And we just left things like happened the way it was coming down to us. Because treatment is there, but who gives the medication to the grandchildren? Food is there, but who would cook for the two years old and one year old? Clinics are there, but who walks the child to the clinic? Crying is there, who helps the child to cry? Who is helping generations over generations to see a future HIV free when their own parents are no longer there? And if we are not like looking at the grandmother at their age, because we look at them, they care, they look after their children, but who cares about them? Who looks after them? So we need both the grandmother and the child. And we need the today and tomorrow. But tomorrow, which is more happier than today. That's why we need to hold strong. It will go. I know for sure. We're going to win the battle. But who is there? Who is it all over in communities when we are losing their prime age? It's the grandmother making the children happy, have a future, walk and go and create something better for everyone. Well, I could talk to you for hours and hours <laughs> because there's so much to learn from you. Thank you so much, Mama Kawia, for taking this time with me and for all that you do. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I'm Ilana Landsberg-Lewis, your host of Grandmothers on the Move. If you want to find out more about me or the podcast, go to grandmothersonthemove.com and come back next week for another episode.